Well, turn, if you would, to the passage that I read earlier to Genesis chapter 39. And I want to spend some time looking at Joseph's uh, temptation. Now, the story of Joseph is uh, familiar to uh, anyone who's been regular in church or uh, in Sunday school. Uh, This particular story is certainly very familiar to to those in in the book group because they've just uh, finished... Uh, reading and discussing uh, Alistair Begg's uh, really helpful book uh, on the life of of Joseph, which uh, uh, we would recommend to anyone. But even if you haven't read that book or been to Sunday school, you probably still know the story because on multiple occasions, I guess you've gone to the Lloyd Webber musical and you'll remember the song uh, uh, with these lyrics, and I, and I won't uh, sing them, but I can imagine that you'll be, you'll be humming them po- possibly in your mind as I, I read them. Uh, Potiphar had made a huge pile, owned a large percentage of the Nile, meant that he could really live in style, and he did. Potiphar was cool and so fine, but his wife would never toe the line. It's all there in chapter 39. Of Genesis. And that's where we are uh, this evening, chapter 39 of Genesis, looking at the subject of temptation and, and, and seeking to learn from the way that Joseph handled it. Uh, well, why look at such a, uh, a subject? You'd say, well, why look at such a tawdry uh, incident? Uh, the temptation in this Story was a, a sexual temptation. The principles, of course, apply to any temptation. But it has to be said that the, uh, if you read through the, 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 the Bible, there's a lot that is said about uh, sexual sin. And we do well to recognize that and, and not think that it doesn't apply uh, to us. Uh, the Bible is, a, is an honest book. Um, it doesn't kind of gild the lily with the, the, with the uh, people it speaks of. Uh, and and we, we, we read of instances of, of, of sexual sin in even the greatest of men. Think of David. I was tempted to, to go through drawing a contrast between uh, David and Bathsheba and, uh, and Joseph. In this story, I, I've, I've, I've not done that, but it was, t- it was tempting to do that. But we know the, the story of David. Think of Solomon. Think of Samson. Think of Noah. Uh, all these men fell in this particular area. You've only got to go back a chapter in Genesis to chapter 38 and you read of Judah's immorality. And then a few chapters before that in chapter 35, you read of Reuben's adultery with Bilhah. Go to the book of Proverbs and read the first seven chapters, particularly chapters 5, 6 and 7, where there are lengthy warnings uh, against the sin of adultery. And then come into the New Testament and think of the teaching of of the Lord Jesus as he explains the true meaning of the Ten Commandments and and, and goes through the different commandments and and basically says, well, you have heard that it was said such and such, but I tell you, and he deals with the uh, the sin of, of, of adultery and he reminds people that it isn't just the act that is the sin, but it's the thought as well to look on a, a woman with lust in the heart is to commit a, a, adultery. So here's a teaching that is uh, frequently found uh, in the scriptures, so demands our attention. 
Well, let's just look briefly at the story and the start of the episode. It's verse 6 of chapter 39. Potiphar, it says, he had left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's not often that the Bible makes such comments about the people that it's speaking of. So it's, it's worth kind of thinking, well, well, why does it mention that? Well, it obviously mentions it because it's significant. Indeed, if you think about it, this story would never have happened if it wasn't for the fact that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. You know, if he was short, dark, hairy with a crooked nose, it, would, it wouldn't have happened, would it? But, but he wasn't. He was a handsome guy. It tells us this as well, doesn't it? That however much we might desire to be physically beautiful people, and I suspect there's something in, in all of us that, that secretly would quite like that. We would, we would like to be a bit like Joseph or the female uh, 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 equivalent. There's something good about that, we think. Um, but the Bible warns us that there are real dangers associated with that. You know, the world screams out at us, doesn't it, all the time that you need to have a, a, a beautiful body. And if you've got a beautiful body, then you'll be happy. And, uh, and we buy into that too frequently. So beware. I don't know about uh, you, but uh, quite frequently, certainly when I was younger, I thought it would have been rather nice to have been tall, dark and handsome. But it, it wasn't to be. Um, I got one out of the three, and, and, the, and, and the dark bit didn't last uh, for, for very long. Uh, but you might have been similar. You, you kind of thought, oh, God, could it be nice if I was six inches taller, or this was a little bit straighter, or, or whatever. We can be obsessed uh, with these things. Well, Joseph was a handsome guy, and it, and it brought problems, not in a sense of Joseph's... Uh, making, but it brought uh, difficulties to him. Now, Joseph was not the only one uh, in the scriptures where this sort of problem arose. If you think of the life of Abraham, now Abraham was married. He had a very beautiful wife, Sarai, and uh, he was, she was so beautiful that when uh, Abraham went down into, I think it was down into Egypt with Sarai, he thought to himself, my wife's very beautiful. People are going to have, have a look at her and they're going to want her. And, they, and they're going to want to, to take her from me and kill me. Uh, so Abraham had this ruse. He didn't trust God. He had this ruse that, uh, he, that, that Sarai would... Um, she wouldn't say she was Abraham's husband. She would pretend to be uh, his sister, which was a sort of, of half-truth. But again, it's just an illustration of, of the fact that, that beauty can bring its problems. It boosts the ego, doesn't it, to know that people find you attractive. But beware, there's a, there's a warning here that the Bible gives uh, to us. Well, let's look at Potiphar's wife's approach to Joseph. And after a time, verse 7, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. So this incident starts with a look, doesn't it? She, she noticed Joseph. 
But she did more than notice. She looked, and she looked again, and she liked what she saw. And there is little doubt, I think, that Joseph would have sensed this. There's looking and there's looking, isn't there? This was a lingering look. That is, this was a look that said something, and the looking became a lusting. It was sustained, and it was blatant, wasn't it? Day after day, this woman was propositioning Joseph, and day after day, he was refusing. Now, Egyptian women at that time had a, had a reputation for being thoroughly immoral. So Potiphar's wife, in a sense, was just being true uh, to form. Come and sleep with me, she says, not once, but on many occasions. Verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Despite the fact that Joseph rebuffs her time after time again, uh, she, she ignores the refusals and, and then she takes the opportunity one day when there's an empty house. Now, whether she engineered that uh, or it just happened, I don't know. We're not uh, told. But uh, here we have it. There's, a, there's an empty house and there's an opportunity she, she has. And she makes a final play and she gets up really close to Joseph and take, takes a hold of him, grabs his coat and, well, and what does he do? Well, we know what he, 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 he does. He, 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 he flees. He, he, he removes himself. So that's the wife's approach. But what about Joseph's response? How does he deal with this? Well, briefly, we're told this, aren't we? That day after day, he said, no, he wouldn't listen to her. And he wouldn't spend time with her. He didn't want this to develop in any way. He was totally honourable in the way he handled this whole situation. And then when Potiphar's wife makes the final play, he, he runs as fast as he can. Well, why does he do this? Well, we're told, aren't, aren't we? Joseph tells Potiphar's wife, Behold, verse 8, because of, my, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What's he saying to her? What thoughts were going through his mind? Well, there were two reasons that he wouldn't succumb to these advances. The first was this. It would be a sin against Potiphar, his master, who, who trusted him. It would be to intrude on that marriage relationship. It would be quite wrong, and he, and he knew that, and Potiphar's wife ought to, to have known it as well. But more than that, it would be to sin against God. Joseph feared God. He knew that God saw all that goes on and he wouldn't offend the God that he loved. That was a principle in Joseph's life. So two reasons why he behaves in that way. So that's the story and uh, brief really, isn't it? I'd like us to try and learn some lessons from this on the, the matter of temptation. And the first is this, to ask the question, what is the nature of of temptation. 
Well, temptation is pleasurable. It offers something desirable to us. It seeks to entice. If we go over to James chapter chapter 1, there's a few verses on temptation which you can read afterwards. I'll just read one of them now, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So temptation entices, it it lures, it promises something that's pleasurable. It takes takes place at the level of our desires. It, It preys on the fact that sin is still present in our hearts. Now, it's difficult to conceive of Potiphar's wife as, uh, as being anything but beautiful. Uh, you know, we're not told that, but I think we can, we can assume that that was the case. She was desirable. Her advances to Joseph would have succeeded with lesser men. This was, this was real temptation that Joseph was uh, enduring. But then put yourself in the shoes maybe of Potiphar's wife and think of the way temptation operated in in her mind. What went on in her heart? Well, she, she, she looked and she looked again. She liked what she saw and then she started to think about it and the desire built and it built and it became lust and, and, and then it was out of control and all reason and, and modesty went out of the window. She was hooked on Joseph and then sets out to hooking. But this, this sin just develops, doesn't it? It starts with the look and then the, the thoughts and you think on it and you think on it again and it builds and it builds. That's the nature of temptation. I mentioned earlier that the book of Proverbs has a lot to say on the matter, and I'm going to quote quite quite a bit from chapters five, six, and and, and seven, just over the coming minutes. But here's a, a few of the warnings from those chapters. Chapter five, verse three says this: For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. What's temptation like? Well, it's like dripping honey. And the speech is smoother than oil. You get the picture that's being drawn. Chapter 6 of Proverbs, verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Very graphic, isn't it? Chapter 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Speech that's seductive, smooth talk that compels and draws. So here's this picture in uh, in, in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture, that, that, that sin, it lures us and it entices us. It whispers in the ear, doesn't it? Come near, come and have some of this. It's, it's lovely. So that's something of the nature of temptation. The second lesson, I, I think, is, is that we're never to say that this cannot happen 
Uh, to me, we're never to say this cannot happen to me. Well, why do I say that? Jeremiah 79 says this, My heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we, and we, we, we all have hearts like that. Some of you will have heard of the uh, Scottish preacher in the 19th century, a man called Robert Murray McShane, and uh, he, he was known as an extremely saintly, godly man, had a pr- profound influence in Scotland. I think it was in Dundee that he, that he ministered. He died at the age of 29, I think, but it had a, an amazing impact uh, in, the, in, in the area be- just because of his sheer godliness. And he said this to his people, when he was preaching, I have found that the seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. What's a remarkable thing to say? I have found that the, sin of e- the seed of every sin known to man is in my heart. Robert Murray McShane, a, a godly man, far godlier than any of us uh, here, knew, knew this about his heart. And if it was true of him, it's true about us as well. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if anyone thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. And then God speaking in Genesis chapter 4 says this, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So it can happen to you. It can happen to me, maybe not in the act, but in the thought life as you read or you view things that you oughtn't to. And these, the thoughts perhaps take over and take a hold in your, in, your, in your mind and you need to remind yourselves you're in a battle. A battle against the world and the flesh and the devil. You're not to be naive. So never say this cannot happen to me. And then the third lesson is this. Consider the consequence. A reputation, a testimony can be built over ten 20, 30 or 40 years, it can be wrecked in five minutes. The honour of God can be wrecked. The witness of a church can be destroyed. Again, Proverbs speak powerfully uh, to, 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 to the consequences of this particular failing. Proverbs 5, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door Of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enriches the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. What an awful prospect to come to the end of of one's life and, and to be groaning due to sinning in this particular area. Proverbs 6. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away. And then Proverbs 7. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. You get the picture. And it's sad to say that... uh, there's a good number of churches in Wales, and I'm sure in England uh, uh, as well, that, that even recently have been left in a real state 
because their pastor has fallen in this particular area. And no doubt countless more will have suffered because of the falls of of elders and, and members. Their sinful desires get the better of them and they fail to see the consequence what happens? They, they lose a wife, they often lose their children, their finances are completely blitzed, and they finish up in some rented bedsit contemplating their folly. So the Bible says to us, consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Well, I want to make some uh, application, a bit of, of an overlap, I guess, with thinking through the consequences, but... Uh, How does the Bible tell us to deal with temptation? And what do we see in Joseph's example that's a help to us? Well, I think the first thing that can be said is this. How do we deal with temptation? We nip it in the bud. We don't play with it. We don't let it get a hold in our heads. Uh, Proverbs 5 verse 8, Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. That's what Joseph sought to do, wasn't it? He avoided her. Time and again, Potiphar's wife would come to him, propositioning him. He avoided her. He didn't play some game of of flirting with her or or thinking that he could kind of go so far and then stop uh, whenever he, he wanted. Nip it in the bud. Be ruthless with it. Run a mile from it. Imitate Joseph. Potiphar's wife makes the advance, the final advance, and what happens? He runs. Uh, Think of the words of Jesus on on the subject. He he was just so clear on it, wasn't he? Think of your hands and your feet and your eye. Uh, If they cause you to sin, what do you do with them? You chop them off. You gouge them out. Sin isn't to be played with. If you find yourself somewhere where you ought to be, get out and get out now. Establish principles of obedience in your life. Job's a good example in this uh, area. He he, he did this to, to avert the temptation of a wandering eye. So in Job 31, we read this. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So be disciplined in what you read and what you watch and what you think about. Establish principles of obedience remember that god sees everything proverbs 5 verse 21 for your ways are in full view of the lord and he examines all your paths you think again of this incident as far as potiphar's wife was concerned everyone was out of the house no one would see them so it was okay But from Joseph's perspective, he knew that God would see them and it most certainly was not okay. He had that sense that that God knew all that he did, all that he was up to. We're to cultivate a a fear of of God because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I speak of fear, I'm, I'm not speaking of that sort of servile fear that cringes at the thought of God uh, punishing my mistakes but but the 
what we, we, we call the, the, the filial fear that sees God as our loving Father who we long to please and we don't want to offend him. We do not want to grieve him by sinning in this way. Another application is this, that we're not to listen to feelings. I'm not a, a, a pastor, but I've read or heard pastors recounting this where they've counseled people that have uh, been in this sort of situation and they've been in, in a relationship that's illicit and they may some, say something like this, I feel so happy in their presence, pastor, it must be right. Or, or like this, if God wasn't happy with what I'm doing, then, then surely he'd take these feelings away. Well, it's, the, the, the thinking is madness. Um, God is not in the business of, 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 of taking our, our feelings away. He's given us a, 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 a book that tells us that these things are wrong. It's a matter of obedience, not of feelings. It's a, it's a matter of, of making a decision of the will that this is an area and I'm not going to go there. It's, it's a matter of taking the clear instructions of God's word and not listening to the feelings of a sinful heart. We're not to be a David. There's quite a contrast, isn't there, between David and, and, and Joseph. Uh, Joseph. Joseph's example is just exemplary. But then when we go to the story of, of David, what do we find? Well, he looked, he sees Bathsheba, he looks uh, again. He, he, he asked who she was. She, he keeps on going, doesn't he? He invites her over for coffee. He sleeps with her. He didn't nip the temptation in the bud. He could have done. He enjoyed the temptation. He committed the sin. He reaped the awful consequences of that. So don't be a David. Be a Joseph. And then the final application, I think, is this. Remember that God will always provide a way of escape. Paul says this to the Corinthians. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When I was a young Christian, I was taught to memorize scriptures. And that was one of the first scriptures that I was taught to memorize and a helpful verse it is and I commend it uh, to you if you haven't already memorized it but that promise of God that uh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind God is faithful he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear when you are tempted he'll provide a way of escape well thank God that he does that just want to make one sort of final comment. I don't know your uh, hearts. I don't know who's uh, listening in, but it may just be that someone listening has, has fallen into this particular sin and, and, and you may be in the pit of despair. Uh, and, and I don't want to be responsible for leaving you in, in, a, in a kind of a pit of despair. Um, there, there's a way out, there's a way of forgiveness for the penitent. 
In Jeremiah, it says this, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. There is no sin that can't be forgiven by God for those who are repentant. We've spoken of David and David's sin with Bathsheba. But we know what happened to David. His sin was, was found out. It was pointed out to him by Nathan. And then we see that psalm of repentance. Go and look at Psalm 51 if you're struggling in this particular area. Uh, and you've done what David has done or something similar. Go to Psalm 51 and read that psalm of confession and, and, and that pleading. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, There is a way back uh, because our God is gracious and forgives. Well, amen. May God help us to apply uh, these words to 